Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 207. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. My guest today is someone who has what I think is a wonderful perspective on living with chronic illness and how it can be addressed using an integrative approach. Casey Hirsch is a licensed clinical social worker, a consultant, author, ballroom dancer, and founder of LightYourSparkle.life. She specializes in integrative treatment models for chronic illness, and she has enhanced her understanding of healing through her studies of holistic treatment modalities. Casey's own struggles with autoimmune illness, Crohn's disease, and trauma inspire her to help others connect the dots of their own lives and to embrace the many dimensions of healing. Casey is passionate about empowering others to be experts in their own bodies. She's published articles for Social Work Today, The New Social Worker, Taste for Life, and ConsciousCat.com, to name a few. Pet companionship, music, dancing, and relationships are at the heart of her healing, and she emphasizes there is not a one-size-fits-all approach to health. Casey's book, Pending Publication, explores the connections between illness, trauma, attachment, and resiliency. So let's dive right into my interview with Casey. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hey, everybody. This is Laura Reagan. I'm popping in to make a small correction. It's a big correction, but it was a small slip of the tongue that Casey, our guest, had. So when listening to our live episode, Casey informed me that she had misspoken in the beginning of the podcast and accidentally, instead of saying that there are 50 million people who have autoimmune disorders in this country, the U.S., she said 50,000. So the correct figure is there are 50 million people with autoimmune issues in this country. 
Please keep that in mind when you're listening. Thanks so much. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm very happy to be bringing you a conversation that I know is going to be very informative. My guest today is Casey Hirsch. Casey, thanks so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm so glad that we could put this together. I am really excited to talk to you. I think you have a important and interesting perspective to share. And But before we even dive into anything, let's just start off by you telling our audience a little bit about you and your work. Sure. Well, I'm a licensed clinical social worker and an author and the founder of lightyoursparkle.life. And, you know, I've spent years struggling with chronic illness starting in childhood and resulting in having a diagnosis of an autoimmune condition called Crohn's disease. And through the years, it's very difficult to have a chronic condition because the symptoms can flare go up and down, relapses, remissions, and also because autoimmune issues are somewhat mysterious, they're not largely understood, you can get lost in a medical system and trying to find answers. And of course, through the years, I've seen patients that have had chronic conditions and worked with them, and I've seen their process parallel my own. And so social work, the social work model has been very empowering. So my work has focused on helping people understand that there's an integration of physical, emotional, and their passion that all weaves in to help with healing, as well as the importance of connecting the dots of their lives, that it does matter where you come from and what you believe and the things that you've been through that lays a foundation for disease. So I'm very passionate about empowering people and getting the message out there for people to learn how to create individual healing programs protocols for themselves that make them feel empowered over the illness that they have or trauma rather than at the mercy of it. Awesome. And that is really important because we see, I think we're seeing more and more people with chronic illness. And oftentimes we don't even necessarily know that what we have is a chronic illness. Like I know many people who have symptoms of for example, IBS, and they they may not even have a diagnosis of IBS, but they're just living with this problem. For sure. Or, you know, and then, or SIBO, or Crohn's, or gastroparesis, or diverticulitis, or, you know, esophageal issues. And I mean, so many things that are usually autoimmune related that the person is just kind of living with the symptoms, doesn't even know what's going on. And then when there's childhood trauma, as there so often is, you know, not understanding how they may be linked. Yeah, and that's true. Autoimmune is on the rise. I mean, there's something like 50,000 people in the United States that are facing autoimmune. And they just did a study, the children's defense team that came out that said millennials are really struggling with chronic illness. So we're seeing it across the board in all different ages. And a lot of the conditions that you mentioned, they have what are called common symptoms, which are symptoms that are 
They're consistent with many different types of diagnoses, brain fog, fatigue, stomach and abdominal pain. And so it's very difficult because those symptoms can look very similar to many conditions. So you might get a name or a diagnosis, but sometimes it's really challenging to get that diagnosis and then it's challenging to figure out where to go with it. Right. And so one of the things about that is that if you get the diagnosis, then you may just think, well, I just have this. Mm -hmm. I have to deal with it or I have to take this medication. But that's kind of all that's really told to you about it in the medical model. Yeah. And that's been something that's very important to me because when I was a child back in the 80s, the medical model was highly focused on the prescription of antibiotics. Antibiotics were used for treatment and for also diagnosis. So you'd often have an antibiotic and depending on how you responded to it, that would determine enough information for a physician to know, okay, is this ruling in or ruling out something? So many, many cases in my lifetime, I took hundreds of antibiotics by the time I was in my teenage years. And that's the only option that I understood. It wasn't until I started the social work program. It wasn't until I was exposed to a holistic practitioner that my world started to open up and I realized, okay, this is not just physical. It's not just about taking an antibiotic. It's about looking at my entire system and how I relate to myself and my environment. And that is sort of the idea of an integrative model that's really important for people to take a look at. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, the mind and body are not separate. (laughs) We're absolutely not separate. (laughs) Physical health and mental health are not separate. Yeah, there's there's something that happens for folks with chronic illness and trauma, and that is that you become disconnected from your body, not only from having a chronic condition where you might suffer from a lot of pain and discomfort, where all you want to do is sort of get out of your body. But you also when you have trauma, that idea of you know being separate from your body as a way to survive makes it more complicated because you don't want to feel and sense your body. So a lot of us with chronic conditions can relate to what that's like to kind of sever the mind, the body and the spirit, because part of surviving is to just you know do what you need to do to cut off parts of yourself so you can cope. And part of healing involves bringing all those pieces of yourself back together so that you are one whole entity, you. And that's when healing starts to become much more powerful. Yeah. So what did you find when, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording and you mentioned the gaps in the medical model in treatment of chronic illness. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Well, tradition, traditionally, we when, when you go to a physician, we've been taught you know, historically that the physician is the expert and you go to the physician to give you an answer to what's going on with your with your symptoms that you're having. Now, oftentimes when you go and have that first consultation with the physician, there's not any conversation about 
who you are, where you're from, maybe what kinds of stressors you have in your life. So there's a gap because the medical model focuses more on how do you, what's your symptoms and then how do we find a way to resolve the symptoms through a lot of diagnostics and testing. But of course we know that as clinicians in social work and mental health that the emotional state of a person, stress, trauma, whether or not their body's in a fight or flight response, those have impacts on physical symptoms. So for many years, while I was also working with patients in a medical clinic, I was noticing within myself, but also with my clients that they would have a number of physical symptoms, but I wasn't really equipped as a mental health clinician to help them connect the dots because it wasn't talked about very much. It wasn't talked about how closely connected trauma is and the stress response to the manifestation of physical symptoms. Instead, a lot of people maybe would have been told, yeah, their conditions all in their head. There was even some stigma around the the merging of mental health and medical. So, you know, my my focus has been in my own healing, but also in education to others is even though that first interaction with a physician is very focused on a medical model that is symptom and diagnostic driven, we can understand our bodies enough to be able to offer that insight and bring a team around us so that we can make sure all those different parts of the mental health and the physical are integrated. And social workers have a huge function and being able to do that because we often see we're the sometimes the first point of contact for people who are struggling. Yeah. And I mean, when I think about my clients, I mostly work with people between like 30 and 60. And even if that's not an identified reason why they come to therapy, having a chronic illness is extremely common. And but the connection is seldom in their awareness right. between because I focus on trauma. So people come for trauma and they also have a chronic illness, but they didn't know that those two go together. Absolutely. And I've always been really intrigued with the idea that our immune system is designed to protect us. So that's the natural, natural function of our immune system. And somewhere along the lines, the immune system says, okay, I'm going to attack you, the self. And the self essentially becomes a foreign invader, much like a microbe or a pathogen or some environmental toxin. So psychologically, that's that's always been interesting to me because I believe there was some point in my life where I became the entity that my immune system was going to attack. And I think that there is definitely a lot of room for understanding the emotional and the spiritual components of that. That's not what we're designed to do. So what what happens in that process? And that's always been something I've pursued and been curious about and asked my, myself and people around me who are going through chronic illness, especially an immune condition. Yeah, it's really an interesting metaphor. The immune mm-hmm. system attacking you as a trauma response. It's interesting because, you know, think about your threat response system, like you mentioned, fight or flight, and fighting you. Your body is fighting you. That's right. Thought yeah. Provoking. <laughs> 
Yeah. And, and I think that there's the best thing a person can do when they're struggling with chronic illness is find a way to get back to themselves. It's really easy to live outside of your body, especially with trauma. It allows us, and I had a lot of childhood trauma. So I'm, I'm sort of a queen of living outside of my body and not sensing it. And someone who uh, wrote a book, The Body Keeps the Score, Bessel van der Kolk, he talked about in his book how it's possible through trauma to lose the ability to self-sense, the self-sensing mechanism. And I think that there's some truth to that because in my life, it wasn't until I started looking at the physical and the emotional and the passion, which are part of a healing wheel that I created, that I started to realize I wasn't living in my body at all. I was outside of myself. I couldn't feel myself. I couldn't sense myself. And that's that's a consequence of trauma. It's a side effect of trauma, but also can be a side effect of how traumatic it is to live with chronic illness. So until I started to understand that I had to crawl back into my body and start sensing my own self, then I could identify my symptoms, I could tell like when pain was coming, when pain was going, start recognizing the onset of pain. These were all things that were really important to me. How could I climb back in my body and start to sense my living, breathing self again, rather than carrying on as what I like to call a false self or someone that was living my existence, but not really feeling it physically or emotionally. Mm. So how did you do that? How did you crawl back into your body? That is a lifelong process <laughs> of, you know, of sort of trial and error. It's been very experiential for me. However, in my case, there were two really important interventions. One was having relationships in my life. In my social work program, I had an amazing you know, internship supervisor. And her focus as me being an intern supervising me was not on my productivity, but how I functioned while I was being productive and how I related to clients and what was going on with me personally. So there was some modeling by her in having me check back in with myself. And that was very eye opening to me. Mm -hmm. I was, of course, in my 20s in a perfect world. Maybe this would have happened a little earlier. And it did. When I was quite young, I, I did meet a holistic practitioner who just looked at me in the eyes and said, what do you think is going on with your body? What's this like for you? And to have someone look at you and see you, really see you, that idea of just having someone, yeah, they get me. Mm hmm was a first glimmer of what that means to sense that I existed. So we come, sometimes don't prioritize the importance of relationships and how relationships have just a huge impact on helping us heal. And that helped me begin to recognize that I am here. I'm seen. someone's reflecting back to me the essence of who I am. And of course that is a big part of the social work model and client centered therapy and all different types of therapy models. But that was a very big intervention for me. And then along with that was my discovery of ballroom dancing, which is an absolute 
exceptional way of bringing a person back into their body through attachment, through touch, through sensing, through body awareness, and a connection of the emotional part of the brain with the rational part of the brain. Ballroom dancing really in so many ways saved my life. And I'm a, a huge advocate for people to you know, give it a chance when they're struggling with chronic illness and trauma, especially. It has a lot of healing potential potential ballroom dance in particular ballroom dance in particular well tell us more <laughs> about that will you so I'm really I'm really passionate about attachment and what happens when you're a child and you may not have the the perfect very few of us have the perfect opportunity to go through all of our developmental stages and have you know our attachment experience as children just unscathed usually there are breaks in attachment things happen and so the, uh, the attachment and sort of the idea of insecure attachment that happens when maybe the bond with the parent isn't strong enough or maybe the parent isn't able to show the child that they're really seen. Those are opportunities and, and abuse, of course, domestic violence and other types of trauma that a parent may be experiencing. Perhaps they have depression. These are all things that impact that attachment relationship between a child and their and their mother or father. And so the idea of creating a reparative attachment experience is something that can happen in many ways throughout our lives. We can always heal attachment through other types of relationships. Ballroom dancing is one of those types of relationships. For me, it's been about you have a partner. So it's very different than, you know, solo dancing. Dancing in general, of course, is, is fabulous. But having a partnership in ballroom dancing sort of mirrors that attachment experience that you have a real another relationship with someone that can provoke and trigger and invite in healing much like the bond that a child would have with their parent. So that's something that's very special in my personal experience with ballroom dancing has been the ability to heal some of the attachment a wounding that I had from childhood and be able to see that transform through a partnership while moving, which of course is a somatic experience that engages the senses and while provoking emotion, which is from the music and from having to find ways to express whatever the message is of the dance that you're doing. So it's sort of a culmination of many things that in my experience makes ballroom especially special. I'm so curious now that you've started talking about this because I cannot dance that way, like to save my life, like my wedding or <laughs> a few weddings that we've been to, me and my husband, I just cannot do it. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not a super great dancer anyway, but there's something about it. I can't follow. It's so awkward. It's unbelievable. And I'm sure it has something to do with like my introception and proprioception and attachment. And I don't know what it is. It's, it's, really interesting. <laughs> it's definitely something that I've always been intrigued with it. I feel like my life experiences make me want to understand more about why certain things affect me the way they do. And so 
being clinically minded when I had my first dance class, which I have to I have to point out today is November 8th. And it's been a year since the Paradise Campfire. And that's where I learned and first took my first ballroom dance oh class was with a program called Paradise Dancers. So as we're talking about it, I have to, you know, uh, have Honor gratitude yeah. for them because it's been a huge part of my own healing journey. But anyways, I remember the first class I had where I was partnered with another person. And I remember the struggle I had with eye contact and, mm-hmm. and then also mm-hmm. taking that close position with mm-hmm. another human in my personal bubble that felt like I felt like I couldn't breathe. I was so afraid to have that type of human connection, just closeness and proximity. And then you're supposed to look at each other. And then I'm a leader. I've always been a leader. And Don Wolheim, the teacher says, Casey, you know what? You need to follow. This is part of you. In traditional dancing, there tends to be, you know, it's it historically has been gender driven with male and female. Fortunately, that's changing and it doesn't matter about gender. You can follow or lead. But in this particular uh, case, you know, I was I was the woman and I was told that I was supposed to follow and I just wanted to lead. And that's part of it for me. Of, I'm like. My husband will say, you're supposed to follow. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I can't, (laughs) I don't know how to do this. I couldn't do it. And and I'm so strong, total control. I was strong willed. And I said, I know the steps better. You know, I'm the straight A student. I know the steps better. (laughs) I know all of this. And, and I was asked to very properly experience myself in a different state of being, which was trusting, letting go, following and feeling and sensing. If I kept the leader role going on while there was another leader, then there's no way the two of us could even make a step together. We were just clashing into each other physically. So that was very hard for me. But something that I saw, I experienced something different in myself. And I said, okay, I think I'm meant to do this. And this is supposed to be an important journey for me. Maybe this is this is what I need to do. And of course, it just it opened up into being life saving and really profound for me on so many different levels. And, and I guess, you know, we're talking about dancing, but the important message that I like to say to people, especially when we talk about physical, emotional and passion or components of the healing will that I created for helping people understand that healing is integrative is that A passion is something that you love and it doesn't have to be dancing that allows you to have this type of healing. For me, it was ballroom dance, but there are so many different passions and so many different things that someone might say, hey, you know, I did X, Y or Z. And this really gave me that similar experience of self growth and feeling seen. And, and who knows what that is? It's so individual. But in my case, it's definitely, definitely been learning how to relate to myself and someone else in that reparative attachment experience through ballroom dance. <laughs> Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh. Did I do my notes? 
Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Again, what a metaphor, what you said about allowing, trusting, letting go. I mean, certainly for me, those are among (laughs) the personal growth areas that I'm I've been working on for a long time and will be working on for a long time. I hear you. (laughs) You know, but, but it's like, I think about my clients too, just how to allow yourself to be guided or to be taken care of or to be nurtured, to trust that the other person is going to not let you down or that even if they let you down, that it's, can, there can be repair. Like, those are like lessons that I think often get interrupted in when you have attachment disruption or trauma in childhood that, man, it's like your whole identity forms around that. And then changing it is hard. It's very hard. And it's sometimes really hard to be seen. I think that I had the, the nice nurturing of an internship supervisor and a holistic practitioner, but to be seen by a peer And in an environment where I felt vulnerable because, you know, it's really easy when you're struggling with pain or trauma. We like to hold ourselves together and the way that we cope is with these defense mechanisms that keep us intact. They they keep us being able to function. And when you're vulnerable and you really start to be seen by a peer, especially in an environment that is completely new, that can feel really scary. And I feel like for me, the ballroom dance environment was surrounded by really positive relationships. So in some ways it was nurturing and it allowed me to gradually unveil all of the defenses and the the ways I coped by just keeping myself together. It gradually allowed me to let go of that one by one and start to feel like, okay, I can be myself. I can unpack all the stuff I've been wrapping around me to make me present a certain way. And I can be vulnerable on the dance floor in a partnership where the goal is to create music and dance and a message. And that I feel is a really important part of managing chronic illness. How do you find a way to get to the essence of who you are and what makes your, what lights your sparkle. And when you figure that out, then you have this empowerment that allows you to say, okay, I'm back. I'm back in this. I'm back in my body. I'm back in my life. And I have answers and I, I have hope. And those parts to me are, are very closely intertwined. Yeah. It seems so 
challenging though, how to get back to who you are. And, you know, you were talking about being an expert on being outside your body. And I think because of trauma, that's how we survive the trauma. And we don't know that we're not in our bodies until we finally, hopefully at some point realize it. But getting back in is, can be gradual. (laughs) It's very gradual. And it's something that by no means have I arrived. This is a it's for me, healing is a lifelong process where you gradually just do things that help you grow and start to feel better. And sometimes things that maybe that don't, and you feel like you go back a little bit, but it's not an easy process. I think the important part though, is to remember around all of us, there are people and there are strengths and there are things that are there to support us in that process. And so it might be seeing a clinical social worker, going and seeing a therapist, experiencing something in creative arts. Sometimes we don't see those things as as healing and powerful as they really are because we focus often on what am I going to do? to make the symptom go away. We focus on, okay, I've got this. Let's get another medication. I've got this. Let's have another test. And I just urge people to think about all these different facets of what make us who we are and make sure that those things that light our sparkle, that make us feel joy, that give us a sense of this is who I am, that those things are also valued in any type of treatment and that we focus on doing more of those along with whatever physical and emotional interventions we're doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So... It does make sense. And I think you're making a a really important point, too, is that there are resources there. And I think that when you're in the thick of either the mental health effects of trauma or the physical health effects of trauma with the chronic illness, it can be hard to see outside of what's happening moment to moment. But how do you what do you recommend for people about how to pull that together? Mhm. Yeah, I well, I love I love the social work model. Not that everyone is going to go out and, you know, get a clinical social worker to help them put the pieces together. But I think it's important to remember in social work, we look at systems, a person in the environment and how in that environment, there are many different parts that comprise who they are and how they respond. And I think to pull it together, we have to first recognize that we exist in an environment with many different moving parts. And what are those parts for each of us? And it might be that some of us already know pieces of what those are. And it might be that maybe our friends, I have many friends who through the years have held hope for me. When I didn't have hope, they held it for me. And so when I didn't see something that was in my life that might help me crawl out of a really dark time, I had a friend who said, but Casey, you know, you're really good at this. Or what about your heart? You're really kind and compassionate. 
those those things all it takes is to have people around us mentors teachers in elementary school we think of teachers do that all the time for their their students so the first step is to recognize that we don't exist in a vacuum we have many different parts that make us who we are and then through asking those questions we start to notice okay this is something that really makes me feel good this is something that i'm really drawn to or this is something that i don't i don't know anything about i don't want to talk about it it's a total blind spot and i think sometimes it really does require having help from you know a friend or a therapist or some practitioner who is objective enough to just take the time to ask the questions what do you think makes you feel better? What do you think makes you feel worse? What helps you? What do you think caused your condition? And this actually, Laura, goes back to a gentleman, a doctor from Harvard by the name of um, Arthur Kleinman. And he came up with what was called, he, back in the 80s, he was a medical um, anthropologist. And he focused on something called the explanatory model. And his perspective was, we it's, it goes beyond where does it hurt it goes to questions like why do you think illness started and we don't need help to ask ourselves those questions i can ask myself if someone would have asked me 10 15 20 years ago why do i think i'm sick and really wanted to know that answer you'd be really surprised what people say what their responses are and how much they have a theory about what caused a certain ailment or a certain condition so i think that asking these questions is the place to start to start pulling those parts together and always going back to our strengths and what makes us feel good and makes us feel happy and is a reflection of parts of us that are who we are yeah yeah that's something i know for many of my clients who have experienced trauma and you know it's complex trauma what do i like is can be a hard question to ask <laughs> Mm -hmm. or answer you know sure. it's I don't know what I like I haven't thought about what I like can't remember when I did something I liked you know yeah and then that's that's an opportunity I feel like to sometimes get creative and start exploring you know when you're a child and you know I wasn't like this when I was a kid when you you know, are, are free to explore and figure out who you are. Mm -hmm. But as an adult, you know, my husband and I went to Maui and this is the first time I'd been to Maui and I'm in the rainforest and there are these long vines hanging from the trees. And I felt like really drawn to just go and like tug on them and pull on them and kind of like, you know, swing on them. And I feel like sometimes we have to be given permission to experience and be a kid again. Yeah, that and curiosity and awe and wonder and exploration. Absolutely. And an opportunity to get to know yourself. Yeah. So that's a great example. Just it doesn't have to be anything 
super like, oh, well, I always want to do horseback riding. So first I have to find a barn and blah, 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 buy the equipment, blah, blah, blah. When you can just be curious in your surroundings or in a new place, better yet, because when you're out of your comfort zone, that's definitely an opportunity for creative exploration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what social workers do well. We focus on relationships and we also focus on helping find people's strengths. And even when our clients don't know what they're good at, we have seen evidence of the things that make them special. And sometimes that's our job. It's to pull those out and work with them and and honor them in a way that we can hold that for them. And they start to see, oh, someone else sees me this way. And someone else sees that I'm good at this. And oh, yeah, I remember, you know, I was good at this other thing. And, you know, it's sort of just building that sense of who we are back in because it's there. We just we have to sometimes we need help. We all need help. None of this can be done by ourselves. I've had lots of help every day. I still have help. And and I continue to help people. And we're all in this together. Every single one of us. (laughs) Yeah. So true. We're interconnected and we're not meant to live in isolation. So, so, so true. Yeah. I think that, you know, one of the things that therapy can be is a space where you can just explore and try something and be curious. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think is sort of like we overlook can be really valuable in therapy to just say, hmm, what do I like? And what if it's this or, you know, and just safe, a safe place to really kind of explore and allow ourselves to go somewhere we haven't allowed ourselves to go for a long time. Yeah. And sometimes we, people suggest things to us and we, we never thought about trying certain things. Or I know in my case, the idea of just, you know, sitting down and playing a board game and something really simple is is a reminder of the simplicity of things that that helps me experience myself and you know a lot of kids in in child play therapy we give them toys and a dollhouse and or just an environment with an assortment of different items that they can pick from and it's amazing to see how a child will just gravitate towards things. Well, we lose that as adults and we lose ourselves sometimes along the way. And these are the kinds of things just looking at a bunch of toys and saying, okay, what do I gravitate towards? What do I like playing a board game and experiencing yourself as a child or as an adult who's having a different experience? These are things that helped bring me back to myself. And in order for me to start healing the Crohn's disease, I had to start to take an honest look at who am I? Because then I could choose treatment approaches and draw in a team of healers and physicians that reflected my values and who I am and where I wanted to go with my healing. That is just a huge part of of my own journey. That's very inspiring. And, you know, I like hearing you say that this process has helped you heal your Crohn's disease. Yeah, it's helped me get on the right track for healing. And 
I don't know that I'll ever feel that it's completely healed because I, for me, the idea of being healed indicates I'm going to arrive at a certain point. And I find that, you know, as I age, life is constantly bringing new challenges. And so healing is ongoing. But, but what it's done is it's allowed me to take charge of my own healing and to feel like, you know, I'm an expert in my own body and I have something to contribute to this process. And I, I know things about myself that can help me get better. I know my history. I know the things that, that if I take a certain supplement, I know if that doesn't make me feel well and I don't have to keep going and taking it because someone tells me to, I can contribute and say, you know, this doesn't feel right. That, that part is what has helped me slowly but surely with patience and love get to a place with illness that makes me feel like I can do this. I have hope and my life's only going to get better. And that's a really good feeling to have about anything that happens. Yeah, definitely. Feeling disempowered is hopeless feeling and feeling empowered is like, okay, I can... I can take this on. So it's definitely better to feel empowered. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> that For goes sure. without saying, huh? That goes without saying. And I think that we do that in social work with our own empowerment models. We do that. Just think about how empowering it is when therapists kind of just generally do this when a client signs up to go see a new therapist we often say okay you know give us a try i'm going to talk to you for a session and you can decide if you like me or if you don't and i'm not going to have my feelings hurt if this isn't a fit let's see if this is a fit we invite that conversation yeah as just part of of having a first session so already we model empowerment to our clients because we say, I like you just as you are. If you don't feel like this is a fit, then I accept that. Let's help you find a place that is a fit for you. Find someone that works for you. We're already showing them how to be an expert in them. And I, I think that if this idea transferred to people going back to that first medical visit, with a with a physician if this idea transferred into all of our interactions with doctors and healers and clinicians it would feel very different for the person who has the symptoms yeah yes exactly and we're each the experts on ourselves but we have to know that we are that's what i think you're saying is that that can get lost as we become disconnected through trauma and illness but it's still there and we just have to get back to it. Absolutely, Laura. So Casey, for people who are listening, who may either be therapists or someone who has a chronic illness or just someone who wants to understand more, how can they work with you? So they can go to my website, www.lightyoursparkle.life. And I created it as a free resource for people who want to learn about different approaches to healing. There are articles that I've published, articles from other people that I really respect. It's constantly growing and evolving. So they can go there. They can just use it as a resource and they can subscribe to my newsletter and 
and eventually I'm going to have a book published. And, you know, when that happens, that information will be in the newsletter, as well as other opportunities to uh, get education, things where I may be speaking. And they can also write me if they're interested in, you know, consulting with me. I, I focus on helping people get back to themselves so that they can formulate individualized treatment plans that take a look at the healing wheel, the physical, the emotional, and the passion. So, um, and use use the website as a resource. That's what it's there for. <laughs> awesome. Well, Casey, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I really appreciate the messages that you are you know, giving all of us an opportunity to speak to and your work. It's 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 great. Oh, thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Casey Hirsch. I like her positive perspective and hopeful way of speaking about living with chronic illness because it can definitely make you feel worn down and discouraged. But I think Casey has some great ideas and inspiration for how to try to find your sparkle even when living with chronic illness. As always, I appreciate you all so much. As we go into a weekend that in the U.S. is a holiday, for many people, it's a sensitive day and some choose not to celebrate at all. But there are often family gatherings, which can be stressful. And I encourage you to do what you need to do for yourself to take care and honor the way you feel during this time. Until next time, thanks so much for listening. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, Therapy Chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.